millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Shine Bunsey. And I'm Emma Fraser. On the show this week, Egos Clash, an official competition... There's Regency Romance in Mr. Malcolm's List. And on Film Club, it's a classic tale of an ambitious ingenue in All About Eve. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Very excited to have you both on the podcast. Cheyenne, you've been on, but not with me. And Emma, you're a complete newbie. So as uh, it's a fresh start for everyone involved, um, we should just do some little introductions. Cheyenne, do you want to go first? Who are you? Yes, I will. I'm Cheyenne, (laughs) friend of the pod. Uh, So I'm a film writer. So I've done bits for Little White Lies and other publications. Uh, Yeah, I... (laughs) What can I say? I'm a, I'm a fan of film and TV and I write about it. So yes, and occasionally you guys let me on here to give my opinions. So thank you for having me back. Yeah, not just to kind of big you up entirely, but I remember listening to your first episode that you did on this and just thinking like, <laughs> this girl is a natural. She needs to get on more podcasts. So I, I have been requesting so you for a nervous. while. I w- you have. And that's why I was like, no, this time we're going to make it work. Like, I was so nervous the first time. Oh, my goodness. I was like, why would anyone want to listen to me talk about film? Um, but no, no, it was great. And that's that's why I'm back. <laughs> And Emma, can you give us a little introduction as to who you are? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I'm Emma. I mostly write about TV and I do cover TV for Little White Lies. I always do the top 25 TV shows of the year come, you know, December. And that's always a challenge because there's a million shows and there's some that I even haven't seen, obviously. Uh, and yeah, so I write about TV various places. I also uh, focus on costume design as well. That's my other area of interest. But I do write and watch about uh, watch and write about movies get the right way around <laughs> uh, and they've got some fantastic costumes coming up uh, there is a sequined uh, suit of Penelope Cruises that I definitely want to ask you about but as a TV expert do you have any insights of the current state of TV I'm I, I've kind of been slightly traumatized by the rehearsal recently um, <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking about it but like it's safe to say there's some good stuff out there at the moment Rehearsal is one I actually haven't seen. Yeah, I know it's it's one that everyone is talking about. Um, but my list is very long, especially stuff I'm covering as well. So you kind of have to balance between fun watching, which can sometimes turn into work watching, and things that you are writing about. Uh, so at the moment, a lot of 
Apple TV Plus shows are kind of grabbing my attention. Um, there's Sharon Horgan's new show, uh, Bad Sisters, that just started last week. It's excellent. I've seen all 10 episodes. Highly recommend that. And For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus as well has just finished its brilliant third season. Uh, otherwise, Only Murders in the Buildings, a really fun one that's available on Disney Plus. That's just finished its second season. And A League of Their Own, all eight episodes are available on Amazon Prime. So there's a lot going on in different genres and we're very lucky very spoiled but yeah too much (laughs) yeah i've got to say we're always complaining about like too many remakes and not enough original ideas but a league of their own was a very enticing prospect to me particularly darcy carden who i just think is just fabulous yeah they've done a really good job of keeping the heart of the film but expanding the stories covering things that a film in 1992 just would not have covered in terms of race and sexuality the the stories are nuanced there's so many great characters in it and I think if you are a fan of the movie you'll definitely love the the show as well Shay I saw you nodding when it came to only murders in the building I say you're enjoying that one is there anything else I watched I watched the finale last night, so I'm fresh, fresh off of it. So, yes, I was very like, oh, yes, I really enjoyed it. Um, anything else that I'm watching? At the moment, uh, let me think. I've just finished catching up with Severance, which I loved. That's definitely one of my uh, favourites of the year. Um, and I'm also, I think because there's so much on TV at the moment, I'm behind everything. So I'm still finishing, like, We Run This City, which is brilliant brilliant tv so those are probably like my main two things that i've been into at the moment but there's still so much so much to get into yeah i gotta say we've mentioned quite a lot of apple plus shows and i do quite like the way that they are treating things that it doesn't seem too overcrowded and i like that thing if you get a few at the beginning and then you get one a week i really like the shining girls which i feel like I'm the only person that watched The Shining Girls but yeah Severance was a great show as well I mean they're doing good stuff over at Apple TV yeah I was gonna say I agree with the release schedule as well like yeah drop the first couple then weekly gives a chance for people to talk about it whereas if you release everything all at once, you you can't really talk to people about it without being like, where are you up to? No spoilers. It's, it's quite hard to have a conversation and everyone has to like watch it in the first weekend. So like when Stranger Things comes out, it's, if you don't watch it that first weekend, then there's going to be spoilers everywhere. And it just kind of ruins the experience a little bit for me, I think, having to binge it, like feeling like you have to binge it. Well. Yeah, we should uh, we should move on to some actual movies away from the world of TV. <laughs> but um, I will be hitting you up in the DMs for some more recommendations, Emma. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. For this week, members will get an early sneak peek at the new issue four days before its release. Search Little White Lies membership via our search engine and click through to our Study HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. A billionaire in search of fame and social prestige decides to make a groundbreaking film. To achieve this goal, he hires the best of the best. Genius auteur Lola, movie star Felix and acclaimed stage actor Ivan. The three set out to make a masterpiece, but clash over their enormous talent and even bigger egos. So, Emma, this is a film about trying to make a masterpiece. Would you say that this film is a masterpiece? 
it's probably not quite a masterpiece, but it's pretty good, damn good. A, a, a solid four star if we're, if we're rating it. Um, it. It's it does a good job of showcasing this kind of crazy movie making world, and it's layered and funny. And I think in terms of what it's trying to say about egos and celebrity it does a very good job um but yeah i I say it doesn't quite get to the the masterpiece level for me personally but it's definitely very good hey what about you what were your expectations coming into this it does feel like last year there were two big penelope cruz films parallel mothers got a little bit more attention than this one even though you know i thought she's just equally brilliant in both for sure. Like, I think coming off the back of Parallel Mothers, I was, I had big expectations because I was kind of like anything that she's in, even if not necessarily the film is the best, she's always brilliant. And this really met my expectations. She was just effortless in this film. Um, I feel like she was able to deliver some of the most balmy moments with like just straight faced conviction that kind of made me watching it feel like I know what's happening is very nuts, but I almost believe because she believes or seems to believe in whatever she's doing, which is just like, yeah, she's just absolutely brilliant. And um, yeah, I think it, I, I think I really enjoyed it. Um, I would also say it's not quite a masterpiece, but it is, it is very funny. Yeah, so we've got this kind of central trio at the middle. We've got the kind of demanding director, big movie star who has all of like dem- these kind of petty demands as a bit of a Lothario, Sar Antonio Banderas, and then the sort of pretentious stage guy. Um, like, did that kind of dynamic really like work for you? Because I thought they they sort of all balanced each other out in the sort of wackiest of ways. Yeah, I mean, it was just such an interesting take on the kind of personalities that you do get and how everyone thinks that their point of view is the right one and everyone thinks that the other person is beneath them. Like, the kind of tension between the kind of like art versus like business side of filmmaking was interesting as well. The fact that you do have this guy who is like known around the world and drives fast cars and like has a different woman in his bed every night. And then the guy who's been with his wife for 20 something years and there's just tension throughout in terms of those dynamics and I think they work so well because the movie wasn't trying to make you think that one person was right like everyone looked kind of terrible or like idiotic at some point so the smartest person in the room actually kind of looked like the dumbest person at times and I thought that was an interesting way of showing the different layers of the industry yeah I like that they didn't make them talentless like there wasn't kind of an element that we were watching this film like oh these are just imbeciles that are incompetent and kind of making like a complete mess I completely bought that they all had very impressive skills particularly like in those little rehearsal processes that they do you see that they know what they're doing and they do have a you know a high degree of skills even if their approaches are completely different but Shane, I'm just wondering like as a film fan, do you find films about filmmaking interesting? Because I I slightly wince when I hear that that's what something's about. I think I take it on a case by case basis. Because yes, like I I understand it can maybe all just get a little bit pretentious, but at the same time, I 
as a fan of analysis, I feel like films about filmmaking are kind of giving themselves the extra challenge of, of course, being a film, but then needing to kind of tell that same story. And I, I, I quite like when things get very meta. I feel like most times I'll kind of come away, even in some things, not necessarily with like filmmaking, but I'm thinking about like Drive My Car, where like, you know, again, they were like, you were looking at like the acting process and the kind of the process that people go through and getting emotions out. And I just find it quite interesting. Um, and I feel like in that analysis and what they did really well here is there is room for making fun of the process. There's room to critique. There's room to make fun. You know, there's room to make commentary on things. So I, I quite like films about filmmaking. I feel not all of them hit the mark, but I'm I'm always interested to see how that is interpreted yeah I guess I sometimes I get worried that with that they, they're going to end up very like self-aggrandizing but I think this kind of in some respects is the opposite um Emma you're an expert in costumes for me this was actually a gorgeous film not just in the cinematography but every single item of clothing particularly that goes on Penelope Cruz what did you think of that side of things yeah it's great so it's Wendy Morales who's the costume designer for this film and I agree like Penelope Cruz's looks throughout like from there's that kind of like deconstructed tuxedo that she wears you mentioned the the sequin jumpsuit everything she's wearing when she's rehearsing that it feels all there's an intention there to show that she is this kind of like auteur but she also does have an interest in fashion especially with the the mane of hair as well like that those like two things juxtaposed and then with Antonio Banderas he's got this kind of like expensive athleisure on the entire time that I also want to steal like every single one of those jackets I was like can I have that please um but yeah so I think the costumes do a really good job of uh backing up everything uh so with Ivan he's in like there's nothing that notable about his closet because he is just probably wearing what he'd wear like every day, regardless of the fact that he is like an actor. He wears what he wears to the the school that he teaches at, same as he wears to rehearsal. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's something quite comforting in that, like someone like a, this character that Penelope Cruz playing, they're not kind of completely dampening down her femininity because we're supposed to kind of believe that this is like a serious artist. Like she has this giant hair. She has all of these sequins. Um, yeah, I wonder what you thought of um, the actual comedy, Cheyenne. Like, did this genuinely make you laugh? Um, I feel like it maybe not always like laughing out loud, but it was very amusing. There are certain scenes that I like, I don't know if laugh rather than like clutch my entire head and go, oh my goodness, wow. Okay, like that's really happening, um, which is quite funny. Um, so I feel like it, it had kind of bits where, yes, you are definitely supposed to kind of laugh at like the utter stupidity, but then there are other moments where kind of like when they are kind of going through each each guy going through his process and is so serious and precious about it and so disparaging about the other persons where that's quite amusing it's not necessarily like side splitting but I think it kind of has like peaks and valleys and nuancing and kind of like how funny it is but I do feel like pretty much all the way through I was 
quite entertained by like a lot of the commentary and did find it quite witty and funny yeah I couldn't stop thinking about what it must be like to work with Jared Leto watching this because like as much as like you know I respect all these different actors methods and if that's what you come out with but also if you're not taking it quite so seriously like him not breaking accent for three months and I was like crazy like it must be really funny behind the scenes it's funny but it also made me think I could not be an actor I could not be in this environment at all like no I want no parts of that oh what about you did this maybe make you want to go onto the other side of uh, of this industry and get behind the kind of camera uh I I also feel similarly it kind of makes you understand the the Obviously not every set would be like this, but there are definitely personalities. And yeah, you mentioning Jared Leto, I was just thinking about the the fact that he couldn't go to the toilet on uh, Morpheus without someone taking him. Um, and I was just thinking about that side of things where you are like th- those extremes. It, it definitely puts that into perspective. Um, and yeah, I don't think I would want to be on that side either. I much prefer talking and writing about it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing a clip with um, Anne Hathaway talking about making We Crashed, which I think like is a TV show, another Apple one that was good. And then I think they made that for like shooting for six months. He doesn't break character once. And then the House of Gucci trailer comes out and she just says House of Gucci to him. And she says it was like he was hit by a bomb. He couldn't handle it. And it's like, could you imagine that being six months of your life? I feel like I I feel like I read like some parts of that interview where she said something about how she after shooting with him because he didn't break character she was like I've actually never met Jared Leto <laughs> like which is quite nuts at the same time so I also kind of made me think about like on the flip side um you know when that interview for Jeremy Strong came out of Succession and then it had kind of excerpts of Brian Cox just basically saying like it's just acting like do not need to go that far you don't actually need to maybe experience and feel all of these things you can just act them wow yeah things would have uh safe to say this film has got quite a shocking ending and things would have turned out very differently if these poor characters had just learned that they could act (laughs) but let's get some scores on this emma do you want to go first in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect uh, I don't, I'd probably say a, a four, four, four. Actually, uh, I, I was very much looking forward to it. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. It did make me laugh. It did make me cringe. Uh, it did make me, you know, consider various things whilst watching. And then afterwards, I, I have still been thinking about it since I've watched it. And I, I think it, it does a very good job of what it was intending to do. Not the masterpiece element, but definitely uh, a solid four, four, four for me. And what about you? Uh, For me, I'd say threes across the board. So I was really looking forward to it. Love Penelope Cruz and um, Antonio Banderas. Uh, I did really enjoy it uh, a lot. Like I said, I found it very funny. I found it very shocking. Um, I think overall, I'd give it a three because I do feel like it in the second half, it kind of meandered a bit. And I feel like it probably could have been a bit more succinct. So yeah, that's a three overall. Um, I think I was probably a two anticipation, um, you know, generally 
Um, I saw it at Venice, which was, you know, you're also a bit exhausted and you're so surrounded by film and ego. I was just like, I really want to go see more of this. But yeah, uh, five in enjoyment. I thought it was just so funny. And I kind of realized halfway through that I didn't think I'd ever seen Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz in a film before. And I don't know that they have been in a film before. So that was like a really nice kind of moment of um, the two Almodovar muses coming together. And yeah, probably a four in retrospect. I just thought it was really great fun. I feel like most films that are supposed to make me laugh don't. So I'm always really excited when one actually does. Next up. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mr. Malcolm's List. Julia, a young woman in Regency England, recruits her friend Celine to get revenge on Mr. Malcolm, a suitor who rejected her for failing a requirement on his list of qualifications for a bride. So, Cheyenne, are you a big fan of the Regency romance? We're getting quite a lot of it at the moment. Bridgerton has definitely kickstarted something. Uh, There is a lot of Regency romance at the moment. Um, Until really watching this film, I have largely resisted that genre. I've seen the first episode of the first season of Bridgerton. I, I liked it. I thought it was all right, but I don't know. I just feel like those particular stories that period hasn't necessarily grabbed me just yet but I was quite interested coming into this film because of the cast um and so I guess I'm not sure it doesn't necessarily have me returning like so much I think I'm just starting to get into it which I'm not so sure this did for me but at the same time I can see the allure of films of this period they look absolutely beautiful and um the stories are generally even though there can be some strife tend to be quite light and maybe leave you feeling a bit lighter once you leave 
Yeah, I suppose there's the distinction to be made between like Austen adaptations of things that were like written then and then kind of something like the Bridgerton novels or the book that Mr. Malcolm's List is, which are kind of modern novels kind of set back there. Um, Emma, do you have any sense why we kind of keep returning to this period and because we're finding it so deeply romantic? I, I wonder in part if the BBC Colin Firth uh, series like planted a flag that people just keep returning to. It it came out in the mid nineties. The nineties was a big uh, Regency resurgence in film. There's sense and sensibility as well. And I I wonder as well, people growing up then, now they're making things. So they're thinking about the, the shows or the movies that they enjoy sort of like romance in. There, there is something kind of safe about the period, even though, there obviously there was strife and stuff uh, going on. It probably wasn't the best time for a lot of people, but the movies, because they focus on such a specific, you know, the, the problems people have are finding a husband. That's the kind of like limit. So it's kind of got this rom-com element, but in the past, so it kind of has this fantasy as well. So I think it is like an escapism thing. I think that's why people keep returning. And there was a whole like Regency core fashion resurgence during the pandemic. And again, it's like this fantasy safe wearing these big flouncy nap dresses when you're not leaving your house feels kind of I guess, enticing to people when the world is such a shitstorm. There was a Regency resurgence in fashion during the pandemic. I didn't get out of my pyjamas for like two months. When was this happening? Yeah, Regency core. It's like this thing with, yeah, wearing big nap dresses. I I, I personally did not partake, um, but it, it was a big thing. And then corsets had a comeback as well. Uh, it, like people just turning back time to, to corset attire. Wow, that was um, completely not the direction that I went in. Uh, so the, I guess the thing that is happening with a lot of these these newer ones is we were getting this colorblind casting, or some people call it color conscious casting. Um, I think it, I think it works varying degrees in different projects. I really liked it in David Copperfield. I think it made absolutely no sense in um, season two of Bridgerton. Um, but Shan, do you think it works for you? I always think that if people have highlights and you know, modern dentistry, then they can have a different skin tone too. Yeah, I I think it does work because I feel like, well, it's quite obvious to state, but it's it's a feature. It should not stop someone from enjoying a film, from getting into a character, from understanding a story. It's one of those things where I feel like it does need to be done. We need to kind of redress that balance so that people can see themselves. But again, to your point, where it makes sense. Um, so I feel like it works in, in a kind of way where there may be some people who the more they see themselves in those stories, you know, it brings them into that kind of period and that kind of filmmaking and allows them to enjoy things that people have been enjoying for years. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it it kind of does need to either make sense with the story or if it's kind of adapting like a, a, a fairly traditional story, maybe some tweaks are made to kind of make it make a little bit more sense or even kind of just acknowledge the maybe the landscape that we know that those characters would have been in instead of pretending otherwise so I think it it definitely does work but it needs to be done with with some care yeah there was a moment in season two of 
Bridgerton, I believe, where the Queen complains that it's been very difficult to do this as a woman of colour. And I'm like, what? No, 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 you're, you're breaking down. You, you can't do this a little bit. We either have to ignore it, which yeah. is fine. I think it's fine to ignore it. But yeah. But so in this case, we're more ignoring it. Um, I mean, races do line up. Frida Pinto's uh, father is the same race as her. But I'm wondering, for you, did uh, Chopin de Rissou work as that sort of romantic leading man? Because I think, you know, stuff like this only works if you really have swept away by by the Mr. Darcy equivalent. I think he I think he did work. I I don't know if I was entirely swept away, but at the same time, I feel like He's played a lot of interesting roles in his career. Um, and I feel like this was a like a one I'm interested in seeing him play. So even though I didn't have the initial interest in this genre, I was interested to see him play that kind of type. And I think I think he did it really well. I think he did it in a kind of it was understated and you kind of still bought into, yes, he came across as the kind of person who would definitely have a list of the requirements of women, which was not so great. But then he also came across as someone who, you know, as, you know, he got to know Frida Pinto and kind of, you know, started to fall in love. You could see the kind of peeling back in his vulnerabilities. And I thought he sold that quite well. Mm, I do feel that the quite is saying quite a lot in that statement. <laughs> like, yeah, you there are some reservations I'm getting from you. What didn't quite work? I feel like the reservations would probably be more with the overall film. As in, I think like the cast was good. So I think Chopin was good. I, I think Frida Pinto was good. I think Zowie Ashton was good. I just feel like overall, the story didn't give me anything. I feel like I'm not, I wasn't necessarily going into it looking for a radical retelling, but I kind of feel like, probably from the start I knew exactly where the story was going to go and then it went there and I knew how it was going to get there and that's exactly how it got there I didn't really get anything more I didn't really get anything less so I guess the kind of quite for me is kind of like well people came they did what they needed to do and then we all went home so <laughs> that, that's kind of how how it hit me uh Emma like it being I mean don't think anyone would deny this is pretty predictable fair but it being predictable being so familiar in many ways like did that take away from you or did that kind of was that like a nostalgic comfort uh it didn't take away for me I it's the same way when I I go into a rom-com you kind of expect these beats and I and I think because of the performances especially Zowie Ashton like she's so good throughout uh so that really added to my enjoyment of it, even though I could see every single thing coming ahead of time. I, I think it did a good job in that sense of capturing those kind of rom-com crossed with Regency era trappings as well. And I think it did the like societal stuff rather well. Like something like a Bridgerton doesn't really get the satire of Austen. And I don't know if it's necessarily trying to, I just think people always compare it to Austin because of the time period whereas this with like the way Zoe Ashton's character gets so upset by being humiliated that felt more kind of Austin-esque than say Bridgerton does. Yeah Zoe Ashton I think really does get the most fun job to do with that sort of misguided um sort of villainous person who you're still rooting for um, 
But I mean, maybe that is something that the modern lens can bring to this um, to this genre, like having characters like this that are like more complicated rather than being like straightforwardly villainous or or, you know, complete, you know, virginal saints who are. Um, who who make all of these men go weak at the knees? Um, I'm just wondering. It's such a stacked cast. I mean, Theo James, Oliver Jackson, Cohen, Frida Pinto, all of these people. What do you think it is that is maybe attracting actors to kind of do these very familiar roles? <laughs> I mean, I think with something like a Regency period. I, I read an interview with Zoe Ashton and she was like, I just wanted to get into a corset and do that kind of like costume drama. And I bet there is something quite appealing to an actor. If they've just been doing a lot of contemporary stuff, I bet to just, you know, go back into a world that they never lived. And then like, just kind of in these grand houses, country estates, like Oliver Jackson Cohen. I was like, that guy looks like Oliver Jackson Cohen, but I don't know if it is because I'm so used to him playing these kind of menacing like husband figures in contemporary films. So to see him as someone in Regency in a comedic role felt like such a shift. And I think maybe that probably appealed to him that it wasn't what he has been doing for like the last few years. Yeah, I was shocked to find out upon Google because I was like, wow, he does a great English accent. And it turns out he is English. (laughs) Not only is he not a sign of terrible, abusive partner, he is also English. We should uh, get some scores on this before we move on to Film Club. Uh, Emma, do you want to go first? Yeah, I reviewed this for The White Lies and I will stick with my 343 that I I gave the review. Um, So yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. When I finished, I was a bit like, yeah, no, that was fine. It was good. Wasn't terrible. It was very pleasant. But the actual watching of the film, I enjoyed much more than the aftermath. Um, but no, I, I would recommend it, especially, you know, Bridgeton fans, Austin fans, there's definitely a lot there for you. Cheyenne, what about you? Uh, I guess for me, anticipation is probably a two, just because, like, this genre is not my usual bag. But because of the casting, I was very interested to see how it all played out. Uh, my enjoyment was probably also a two, because I feel like I just needed a bit more to keep me engaged with it. Um, and then overall, I'd give it a three, because uh, even though it didn't really necessarily move me, I still feel like it was well acted. I enjoyed the cast and I feel like it was a really it was a well made film. So for me, it was fine. Yeah, uh, three is across the board for me. Um, Shepard Yorishu, I've been a big fan of his since um, his house. Um, so I'm always interested in seeing what he does, even if I do feel slightly regency romanced out uh yeah three in enjoyment and in retrospect it just felt like a nice little treat it was a very like fun little time i don't know that after this podcast finished recording i will ever think about it again next up film club all about eve stars betty davis as margot channing a highly regarded but aging broadway star and anne baxter as eve harrington an ambitious young fan who maneuvers her way into channing's life ultimately threatening Channing's career and personal relationships. So this is generally considered to be one of the greatest films ever made. We've we've actually had some not so great things on Film Club in the past few weeks, so you are welcome that this is the one that you got. Um, what, so Emma, I'm assuming this isn't the first time you've seen All About Eve? It actually was the first time I'd seen oh, wow. it. And 
So when it, I got told that it was all about Eve, I was like, great, this has been on my list of films that I know I should have seen and hadn't. And it, it'd been just waiting to be watched. And I watched it. And it's always hard going into something that is considered a masterpiece, wondering, is it actually a masterpiece? And I would say, yes, yes, it is. Uh, I, I was completely, like just overwhelmed by the whole thing obviously Bess Davis is like an icon but the whole film the layers like I knew obviously the the story beats um just from how much it's referenced in everything but it just was a lot more layered than I was expecting um but yeah brilliant writing directing everything uh all in basically (laughs) God, and what a feast in terms of costumes as well. Not to bring it back to that, but only that specific interest of yours. But there's certain moments where I just perhaps like the Regency Corps people of lockdown, where I just longed for being able to put myself into this era of dress. Yeah, and and the dresses are interesting as well because it's not a particularly showy um, film for that period as well. Like the costumes are exquisite, so everything. So Bess Davis came on late, and uh, her one of her demands was, "I want Edith Head," um, because she was working for another studio. So she got loaned out. The 20th Century Fox uh, head costume designer Charles Lemaire was very unhappy about this. Uh, so behind the scenes, there was egos clashing as well, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, Edith Head obviously the icon um she won an oscar for this she actually won two oscars that year because they have a color and a black and white category at the time so she won two oscars that year. Uh, but yeah the costumes tell you everything you need to know about margot channing that she is this classic actress and then eve comes in and starts to kind of dress a bit like her and and you know that something's up as soon as she starts doing that and cheyenne is you also a newbie to all about eve I was so of course I definitely had heard of it um and of course I'd seen Betty Davis in uh in Baby Jane so I was kind of interested to see a role that kind of came before that um because she is an icon and like I yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it like I think it kind of met I had big expectations and it really met that in terms of just the character of Margot Channing and again the way that Eve kind of starts to worm her way in and I also felt that the way that they showed how Eve was kind of just snaking around all of Margot's relationships I think it was played really well because it wasn't necessarily at the beginning the most overt thing there wasn't a kind of Eve kind of presenting a butter wouldn't melt and then like smirking at the camera or doing like a fourth wall break it almost if you didn't already know what the film was about you may go but you know, maybe maybe she is just a nice girl. Um, and then when when that heel turn does come, it's also played. It's very clear that it is a heel turn. Like you know, the most like outward showing that you know she really is there to kind of take over. But again, the way that it's done is very nuanced and it's very Margot like. So you can literally see how Eve has come in and studied Margot, and then the way that things end up in the end. I just thought it was really really well made. Like I yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I love how you're kind of left with this feeling that this is a cycle that will continue and continue and continue. Perhaps Margot even did this to someone before her, but certainly this, you know, this is likely to happen to Eve. And I like that then this kind of idea of like the ingenue coming and taking over from the established star, we keep getting it. We get it in Showgirls, we get it in Black Swan, we got it in Pleasure last year. Like, what do you think it is about 
that sort of female ambition story that we just continue to find fascinating in film? Um, I think personally, I think because, as we know, as a woman, it is very difficult to excel to in in any field but particularly in the Hollywood business where as Margot kind of sees she's only just turned 40 and now it's kind of like a crisis mode with like well what do we do with her what does my career look like and that's something that women today still face um sometimes even younger than 40 they're getting roles for like mums and that's really about it um but I feel like because women face so much sometimes when you actually see uh, a woman go do you know what like I am going to get my piece and I don't care how I do it I'm going to be like that level of ruthless I feel like it may not be inherent in everybody but I feel like it's always entertaining to watch someone kind of give in to that kind of like do you know what this is what needs to be done and I'm going to roll my sleeves up and do it and I feel like that's always entertaining to watch whatever format it's in because all of those films I really love them and have watched them many times Yeah, it's funny. We did have that kind of brief period of like really bad female empowerment with like the hashtag girl boss. It's like you go back to something like all about Eve and it's just like, no, we had a much more complicated understanding of this in like 1950 than we did in, you know, apparently in the, uh, you know, about 10 years ago where uh, we're sort of being like a ambitious ruthless chauvinist was considered to be a good thing by social media for some reason i was gonna say as someone who is literally about to turn 40 in a week and a half this movie <laughs> hit a certain spot that i wasn't expecting not that i have a, a an eve in my life or that i am a margot channing level of success but it definitely this issue of aging um and how society perceives you wherever you are in the world and wherever you even if you aren't in the entertainment industry for example and so I thought it was really interesting looking at the fact that Margot obviously doesn't have children as well this like you know she's a she's got this like long-term lover who she's not married to yet and like what expectations are on her and um, so I just thought that was interesting as well and it is something that, again that Hollywood keeps returning to is this idea of aging um and and then themselves they do not treat aging stars that well so it's kind of the classic hollywood pat ourselves on the back for showing something but then not doing anything about it yeah i mean if you kind of look at betty davis's career it 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 does come up a lot where there's kind of, she's like a lot of her iconic roles are all about somebody who's like past it but also you know i see she would go on about 12 years after this i believe she's in baby jane and that kind of has quite a fun parallel with official competition because that was a real clashing of styles. And Betty Javis, as talented as she was, had a very specific method that seemed ego-free because she was willing to kind of make herself a bit ghastly. But I can imagine was not very easy to work with all the time. Yeah, and then obviously talking about films about films, the TV show Feud did the, the Betty Davis and Joan Crawford making of baby jane and that's one of my favorites in terms of looking at something about hollywood and filmmaking because it does get into those kind of like gritty like confrontations and how the press is involved and how the studio kind of added to it and i i find that dynamic to be really fascinating yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see um Andrew Dominic's blonde in a few weeks for um, for the same reason, to kind of see everything that you know, the way that the studios kind of chewed up and spat out 
poor Marilyn Monroe. And uh, this film, I believe, is one of her first ever appearances. Did you spot her straight away? She's barely in it, but... Um, right away. Like, this is actually... Yeah, I'm ashamed to say it, but this is probably actually the first time that I've watched Marilyn Monroe, like, in a film before. Like, of course, I know all the films that she's been in. I just haven't watched them. I probably en- will end up doing so ahead of Blonde, and especially coming off the back of All About Eve, but um, literally right away. And I I wasn't expecting to be blown away because I feel like, of course, you know, she's a figure that you've grown up with and it's she's so beautiful. She's so breathtaking. But you really see it. Like, you're just like, wow. Like, she's an instant star. When she delivers her lines, she doesn't have that many, um, you know, but she's funny and you just want more of her. Um, so, yeah, I I just thought, wow. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off her. I loved her delivery. I loved everything. I was just like, I want to know this character. And she gets referred to after when she's off screen. But I was kind of like, can we go back to her? Because I just want to see more Marilyn. Yeah, I just um, I'm really I just finished reading the book of Blonde, and there's a lot of scenes in it which kind of seem like a bit heavily fictionalized. Where it's just like, oh, everybody was talking, like who was that woman? But then I watched this, and it's like she genuinely, it's like an angel has entered the yeah. scene. Truly, <laughs> yeah. I, I I've actually been watching a lot of her movies, kind of I guess in a way preparation for Blonde. Um, and I find it interesting that her voice sounds lower in this. Like it's not quite as the the Marilyn voice you kind of come to know. It's that like an octave or so lower. And yeah, the comic timing. She's so funny that the line about TV being just auditions is so savage. Anyway, that Addison DeWitt says to her, but their dynamic is very fun, and I did want more of them as well. Like I, I, I was also sad that she only had two scenes. So we're kind of left on um, a bittersweet note with All About Eve. Um, it, I, I don't, I don't know. Would you be fair to say this is like a tragic story? In in a lot of ways, yes. Um, I don't know how much I should give away, but I do feel like, of course, it, I think it depends on how you want to read it. There are a lot of ways in what where Margot ends up that are tragic, but then in some ways it's also Margot taking control of the narrative when she makes a decision about a certain role that she is or isn't going to take. That's her choice. And yes, of course, she's making that choice because of the, you know, the expectations of her, but it's still her choice um so you know and I think at you know in at the end Margot still does have her friends so and Eve not necessarily uh after she's kind of revealed herself um and then of course you know the way that it really ends with kind of like the cycle continuing you can kind of view that as tragic um or it can just be well the game is the game and you know Eve decided to play and this new person it you know it's also them deciding that that's what they want to do. So I guess it depends how you read it. I do feel ultimately that, it, you know, it it was quite bittersweet, more bitter than sweet. But um, there are some kind of upsides to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched this many years ago and then revisited it for the pod. And I, and I wondered whether with all the sort of modern intersectional feminist lens or something, I was going to find it a bit difficult to see the way that like ambition is punished but I I, it, I I think it really holds up what about you Emma kind of modern feminist perspective you're still happy yeah and even the, that end shot could even be seen as a horror in a, in a strange way because it, it, the way it's framed for starters 
but there is that element of like the monster within so it could it's kind of like a, a monster movie in that sense if you're looking at it from like a, a modern perspective but again yeah i i like the fact that there is still agency in the film which I, I was not expecting i was thoroughly surprised at how modern it did feel in those terms and there were moments where i thought it was going to go in one direction and it went in the other and i was just like that's incredible that and I think that's why I was so blown away because you kind of go into these things with these kind of like tick list of it's going to be stated it's like mid-century um but no it didn't do that and yeah it's I say it's actually quite feminist except they didn't pay the uh or or they didn't credit the author of the short story uh, on the movie so that is the least feminist thing they did (laughs) so well I mean that is for 1950 still pretty good (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) thank you both so much for this and uh yeah i'm very glad that i've got you both to see all about you this is uh this is this is i think a one of the rare things that is as good as people say it is so if you've got thoughts on these films you can email truth and movies at tco london or tweet us at lw lies next week a luxury moroccan getaway goes wrong in the forgiven tilda swinton's wishes come true in three thousand years of longing and for film club it's pasolini's arabian nights Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Chayanne Bunsey and Emma Fraser. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.